I almost got rid of my phone then, just but I realized I haven't got my watch on me at the moment. And it's probably wise that I have something that will tell me the time so that we're not here for too long. Um, but as you can see on here, um, we're about to start a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, why? Are we going to do this? What's been in our heart for doing it? And as you know, for the last few months, or for those who are only just joining us, for the last few months, we've been recognizing that uh, COVID showed us a few things about ourselves. One is that discipleship looks a lot different to um, how we have traditionally thought about church or how we had been ending up doing church. Yeah, coming to church. If we couldn't come to church anymore, what was discipleship really all about? But in the midst of it was also recognizing that relationships were forced to change. We couldn't see each other on a regular basis. We couldn't develop relationships in the same way. And so in one respect, we were struggling in terms of our relationships. But on top of that, we had different stresses to be able to deal with. And so um, relationships were becoming strained as well. And we've been just pressing into this idea that um, discipleship, for the time when Jesus called his discipleship, looked a lot more like um, apprenticeship, training. He called his disciples to be with him so that they could become like him and then from that go and do. And that whole concept of apprenticeship had just been digging into my heart for a long period of time and really challenging me as well in that um, was I getting up in the morning and was I living my day going, Jesus, in what I'm facing right now, would you train me in your way of doing this? Would you train me in these relationships that I have so that it looks like the way that you want me to be able to love people. And our vision statement for the church is to be a church family dedicated to impacting people's lives, impacting the community with God's love. So what does it look like? If it's to impact the community with God's love, what do these relationships look like? And how do we cope with some of the struggles? So as a, a leadership team, we were just looking at different scriptures. We were looking at Romans 12 and onwards. We were looking at Ephesians 4 onwards. We were looking at Colossians 3 and really challenged in terms of the way that the disciples of Jesus were articulating this is what it looks like to really love people well, to have relationships. And so I was just like, so which of these letters do we go after? And then it just struck me in a conversation, do you know what? All these people, all these disciples had Jesus' teaching in mind. And it's summarized so well in terms of the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes is where we're going to start ourselves as well. In um, trying to understand what does the blessed life look like? What does God bless and how's that going to affect our relationships as well? So I want to invite us all on this journey of taking quite a long time to look at even starting the, the Sermon on the Mount, starting the Beatitudes. We're going to go through them one by one, week by week, which is going to take us to Christmas. 
And then at Christmas, we're going to just pause to celebrate Advent, to look at the light coming. And what was that? Remind ourselves about the light coming into the world, the dark world. And then we'll start again in January because we'll be, you are the light of the world. And it just seems to be an interesting way in which just how the the sermons and the, the number of weeks are just falling in that this seems like an opportunity for us to pause where we are and to really dig into the Beatitudes and let that become the formation uh, for to form something new within us individually and also corporately so that we can then start living out more naturally the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I hope that you're getting the sense as to where we're coming from in all of it. Um, and as we start on the Beatitudes, um, I realized a year ago, I don't know whether this is just a poor thing about me. Um, I, I'm 55, I've been a Christian almost 50 years. And I was chatting with a friend about the Beatitudes without my Bible, even though I've got everything on my phone or on my iPad. And I was like, do you know what? I can't remember all of the Beatitudes. I couldn't tell you them in order. And it wasn't the fact that I couldn't remember that was challenging me. It was the fact that if I couldn't remember, I wasn't intentionally wanting to see these qualities and these attributes built in my life. And it felt like I need to go on this discipleship journey of Jesus train me afresh in what it looks like to understand the Beatitudes and see these Christ-like qualities formed in my life. Now, I don't know, I'm not going to ask for hands this morning, but, you know, could you off the bat say, there's six, there's seven, there's eight, Beatitudes and what they are. I knew that I couldn't at the time, um, but I wasn't condemned. I just felt challenged to press into all of this. So that's where we're at at the moment. It's in the context of um, discipleship. It's in the context of being formed. It's recognizing that if we don't become, we don't focus on being discipled, we are naturally being formed anyway. And we need to be counterformed into the image of Christ. The stories that we believe from the media, from our upbringing, they're all forming us. The relationships that we keep, they're forming us. The news, the media, the whole environment, that's all forming us. What's Jesus' answer? What's the truth that might set us free as we've been singing about that will help us? So, context of Matthew. In terms of Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read that in a minute. But Matthew was a tax collector, a tax collector for the Romans, a despised person by the other Jews. But Jesus called him. The Jews were under foreign domination by the, the Romans. Peace was won by the sword and maintained by the sword. There was a puppet leader in place, Herod. And when John the Baptist dared to 
speak out about the immorality uh, that Herod was living in, it ended up costing him his life. Into this world, Jesus comes. The world's true sovereign speaks. Matthew is writing as a Jew to Jews to show how Jesus is the continuation of the Old Testament promises and prophecies being fulfilled time after time as we read through Matthew it says this was to fulfill what had been promised through the prophets and Matthew in the first four chapters which I would encourage you to read just so you come up to speed um, this week he's connecting Jesus to the Old Testament as the Messiah in the line of David the promised one but also as the son of Abraham Abraham the blessing to the nations and as we know as we will hear in Rome in uh, chapter 5 of Matthew it all starts with blessings there's something connecting in that and also that how Jesus fulfills these Old Testament promises and prophetic words and that he's no mere human he is God with us he also, the way that Matthew describes it is he's painting this picture of Jesus as a new authoritative teacher like Moses was. We're going to read about the Sermon on the Mount, how he comes up, goes up onto the mountain and speaks from the mountain. We read in the first few chapters about how Jesus came out of Egypt, just like Moses did. How Jesus was baptized by going into the Jordan, coming out of the Jordan, just like Moses took the people to the, um, the Jordan River. And we will see how Jesus comes to deliver people from slavery to sin and to free them from their sins and to bring about a new covenant relationship between God and his people. So as we come to this verse 4, 12 in chapter 4 of Matthew if you want to turn to it um, listen to the story I think listening to this part of the story to get the context for why Jesus then speaks is so helpful for us verse 12 Matthew 4 now when he heard that John had been arrested John the Baptist he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Nephtali. How do I say that, Greg? That's the one. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Again, just highlighting this is to see the prophetic fulfilled. And in this land, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Right from here, we just get this image of the people have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. As I was just reading that, I was just reflecting as to how does that speak into what's happening in the world at the moment? The shadow of death that COVID had over. The people dwelling in darkness. 
have seen a great light. May that be true for us today. For those dwelling in the region, in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. May that be so true for where we live. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is Jesus' good news at the time. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What had been promised is now at hand. It's, it's tangible. It's available for us to enter in. And so what happens after he does that? He starts calling disciples. Verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, for I will make you fishers of men. And he calls us today, as the call from Jesus to us today, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat, and their father followed them, and their father and followed him, as in Jesus. And so we hear in the midst of that, it goes on to, to say, verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. How often do we speak about the kingdom and proclaim the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of heaven is available, it's coming close. And healing every disease, may we somehow see that today. And every affliction among the people. And in what's happening as the kingdom breaks into the world, humans are being made whole. In some respects, when we're reading this, it's like Jesus was proclaiming and then proving that what he was proclaiming is real by healing the sick. In another respect, we can say that as the kingdom comes... It's natural for those people to be made whole. As the kingdom takes hold of us, it's natural for us to be made whole. And the light starts shining really brightly because people start coming from afar. Do you see on that map? So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him to all the, brought to him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. God, may we see that in our day. May we see that more and more as the kingdom comes, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So do you get that picture of what's going on around Galilee as Jesus moved in, proclaiming, healing, 
the kingdom coming, what's happening as the kingdom comes. And we get this to this. And seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And that's the invitation to us. Just imagine Jesus looking out across Tadley and the surrounding villages. What does he see? And as he sees, do you hear his call to say, come, I want to train you in my ways. I want to let you know at the very start of this, this is what I bless. This is what I show favor towards. We're trying to understand in terms of reading those passages, that first bit of Matthew 4, what, was, what were the disciples hearing as Jesus said this to those who are being oppressed by the Romans, who, where peace is being made by the sword, or maintained by the sword, where a ruler is living in immorality and if you dare judge him, it might cost you his life. People sick, having seizures, oppressed. How can this and what we just imagine Jesus sees right now, how can we connect with his heart and will and say, your kingdom come? We want your kingdom to come here in this room, in our lives. We want your kingdom to come in the streets around, in the homes around, in the schools in the workplaces, the places in which we live. And here's another challenge. How does this impact us in the call to go and make disciples? I don't want an answer now. I'm just planting a question that as we journey through the Beatitudes, what's God going to form in us and help us to become disciple makers in the way he makes disciples as we journey on this through to Christmas? How well do we know this? This is our opportunity to dig in and to start to know this. John Stott, one of the great preachers of the last 50 years, um, no longer with us, but he says about the Sermon on the Mount, he said it's probably the best known of the teaching of Jesus, best known part of the teaching, familiar. People, yeah, Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes, yeah, I'm aware of it, I've read it. Though arguably it's the least understood, and certainly it is the least obeyed. That's how I felt when I suddenly realized I couldn't tell you what the Beatitudes were off the, off the pat. If I couldn't tell you what they were, I wasn't intentionally trying to obey them. There was nothing in my daily rhythms of life where I was going, oh, this is impacting me, I need to obey this. It is the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered. 
for it is his own, his own description of what he wanted his followers to be and to do. Right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is this very familiar story again. This, I, I just, I'm being challenged by this. I'm just trying to invite you to be challenged afresh by this. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. COVID came. The war came. Cost of living crisis came and beat against people's lives. For the wise man, his house didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, this is, this is so, so challenging because he still heard them. He still heard them. We could get to the end of all of this and go, yes, Pete, I know all of it now. I still, I can, I can, I've heard it. I've let it really seep deep into me. I've heard these words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And I'm sure he was just wishing at that moment in time, I wish I'd heard and I'd started to practice and I'd started to obey. Keep me to account. I'm just telling you what's in my heart this morning about how I want to be transformed through all of this. I'm just encouraging you to do the same. I would hate to get to the end of this and go, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd thought about it more. I wish that I had asked Jeff to challenge me on a weekly basis. I wish I had asked people just to go, here's what I've been seeing in this. How about this? Is, is this what God's saying? Is this what it looks like? And I'm just encouraging you to come and have these conversations. But as we hear these words, particularly the Beatitudes, let's not disconnect it from what we've just been reading, that they're connected to the kingdom. The good news that the kingdom is at hand, the good news that as his rule and reign comes into our lives and start transforms, transforming us, our lives will be changed and we will be able to do this. What we're not going on into a journey is trying to beat ourselves up to produce fruit that actually we can't produce in our lives. I really want to make sure that we haven't, we're not going to just try and do this in our own strength. This only works if the kingdom of God comes and transforms our lives, transforms our heart, transforms our desires, transforms our ability to do it. It's a descriptive and the Beatitudes in particular is descriptive as to what does it look like 
as Jesus comes and transforms lives. It's not prescriptive, this is what you've got to do. It's descriptive. It's a profile of what, how humanity emerges, what kind of humanity that emerges as the reign of God takes hold of us, changes who we are. Because if we, if we forget that, this is just going to become frustrating idealism. You're just going to go, yes, I would love to, but there's no way I can be this person. Or it's going to be crushing legalism. You're going to feel condemned that this is something I must do, but I daily I'm just never like it. This is... A, an announcement, a description as to when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, in our life, as it is in heaven. And we're not going to get to this today in terms of it's much later into the, the Sermon on the Mount, so it's going to be next year for us. Five, Chapter 5, verse 48. This is how, if we misread it, it will feel really tough for us to be able to get hold of. Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect, mature like I am, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Daryl Johnson, whose book called The Beatitudes, that I've been reading, has been really helpful on this. He says, this you must be perfect is a promise. It's not a command. It's saying it's the future imperative. I don't really understand that. But Greg does. So if you want to really understand it, ask Greg. But what it really means is in the English that I can understand it as, is you're going to be perfect. You're going to be perfect. You're going to be mature. Teleos, the word, as your heavenly father is perfect. And we recognize that kingdom is coming now. But it's also not yet. We will taste the goodness of all of this in our day and in our time. But recognizing we will fully experience this in the future. Just going to look at the time. 39. So let's start. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Remember the context we've been talking about, about who for the Jews seem to be the blessed ones. This just seems completely upside down. Seems like the religious leaders were the blessed ones. It seemed like the rich were the blessed ones. It seemed like the ones with the sword who could go and grab and take were the blessed ones. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He starts by speaking a blessing. I love that. As he, drew his teach, as he drew his disciples to him, he started teaching. He pronounces a blessing. And he's gone on to pronounce blessings over various different attitudes and behaviors and postures that emerge when the reign of God breaks into our brokenness going to paint a, a picture of what human flourishing in God's eyes really looks like. And so even as we spend these weeks 
looking at all of this, in some ways it's going to feel upside down because that's how the world views things. But in the midst of it, we have to believe the world is upside down. And we're just trying to rewrite ourselves as to what really matters. Whose blueprint for life that is truly blessed are we going to believe in? Whose blueprint for human flourishing are we going to truly believe in? It's called the Beatitudes because that first word, blessed, in Latin is beati. So that's where we get beatitudes from. In Greek, it's marikoi, which translates as happy. Much of the time, people say happy, but it's much more than that. It's God's favor. How Jesus feels, how Jesus assesses us and our condition. It's the objective state rather than a subjective state. It's God's objective view of what really matters. And the way that um, Daryl Johnson talks about it, that may be helpful, I'm trying to get my head around this a little bit, but he says, basically, we become in sync with what the kingdom's all about. We become in sync with what the Holy Spirit does and likes and forms within us. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who recognize their own spiritual poverty, their bankruptcy, the word is really talking about bankruptcy, I've got literally nothing. It's not that I'm working a bit and I'm trying to give. I literally have got nothing that's of worth in my own strength. I know I need God that I can't flourish as a human without God. And blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. Blessed are those who are mourning. The question is, what are we mourning about? What are we grieving over? What loss is it? Because if we're thinking about the spirituality side of this, in terms of what God's blessing as the kingdom comes into our life, the challenge is, do we really grieve over our sin? Do we really grieve when we disobey? Do we grieve over the, the condition of our own hearts? Do we grieve over the condition of the hearts of those that we love? Those in our community? It says of Jesus that he saw and he wept. He grieved deeply. Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, as he was about to head into Jerusalem, just wept as what he saw. And here's the promise. Those who mourn will be comforted. That's the blessing. They will be comforted. God will come with strength to them. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It didn't seem like that in the day didn't seem like the Romans were very meek. didn't seem like Herod was a very meek person. But into the midst of all of that, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The gentle, the humble, those who realize that arrogance and self-sufficiency get us nowhere. Those who 
demand their rights in their own way. Those that move off that and start trusting the way of the good and gentle king. It says of Moses, linking back to Moses again, it says of Moses, he was the meekest of all the people on the earth at the time. So there's a quality there that both Jesus and Moses exemplified. And so it's not weakness. Jesus was not weak, but he was meek. So what does that mean? It means that you can have a really strong character and you can be very, very passionate about stuff. You can be emotional as well. That's what we see in Jesus. Strength of character, strength of passion, strength of emotion, but under control. Oh, don't you want that? Don't you want that? Don't you want a strong character being formed in yourself? Don't you want to be more passionate about life? Enjoy the emotions of life, but not for that to ruin you, but to be able to handle that in a way in which people experiencing, experience you as a gentle person, a kind person, a humble person, forgiving person. This is the one that's getting to me all the time. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The kingdom taking over what we really want, what we really desire, taking over our appetites, our desires, our thirsts. Can you imagine what it is like? I've never experienced this myself, but can you imagine what it's like to be in the desert, in the wilderness? Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days to experience that level of hunger and that level of thirst. He's talking about that level of deep desire for righteousness, for right, God's right ways of living to be in me, to be rightly related in the way that God wants me to be right related with him, with family members, with yourselves, with the community so that we can do exactly what the vision says. They will be satisfied. To hunger and thirst for justice as the world falls apart. For righteousness. I don't know what you're thinking about tomorrow in terms of our next Prime Minister. But, oh God, may whoever it is hunger and thirst for righteousness what a prayer that would be for them and blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy those that are hungering and thirsting for justice for righteousness also be those that know that they have received mercy are righteous in God's sight we've been singing already earlier about thank you for saving me I didn't deserve any of the saving. In view of this mercy, Romans 12, in view of this mercy, let us be merciful. Let us extend it. Let that, let our knowledge and our experience of how much mercy we've received overflow. And we will receive the mercy that we want as well.
And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. <laughs> now it really starts to get challenging, doesn't it? Blessed are the pure in heart. Maybe that's the one above all that I would just go, if I can have one. But as the king who has a pure heart comes to take residence within us, our hearts will change. Just want to just keep on emphasizing it's not our doing. It's his doing. Just a sidetrack. There is an interesting correlation between the Beatitudes and the fruits of the Spirit. Just to go and read and just to ponder over as to how closely they're interlinked. And we know that it's the fruit of the Spirit is not the fruit of our work. It's the fruit of the abiding. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. This is how it's all building, it feels like to me. Towards us being able to do and be the people that we would love to be able to be and do. Blessed are the shalom makers. What are the qualities of the shalom makers? Those that bring wholeness to life. Surely it's those that just start with, I can't do this in my own strength. And recognize our own poverty of spirit. Those who just mourn and grieve over what we see in the world. Those who become those that reach out to help as gentle and humble people. But with deep passion, deep emotion about what they're seeing and what they want to see. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they should be called the sons of God, Jesus the Son of God exemplified this brilliantly well. As we seek to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, there's this journey that will go on that will result in our ability to be peacemakers within our own homes, within our own families, within our communities. We'll just start to grow more and more as the kingdom comes. It's just a beautiful portrait of Jesus. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the challenge as we try to see the kingdom come in our lives and we try to be peacemakers, we're going to be confronting people with a different perspective, that want different things, that don't want it to happen in this way. Thank God at the moment we are not persecuted. But let's pray for those who do live this out and are persecuted. Those who thrive on self-power, demanding their rights, lying, fueling conspiracy theories. They don't like those that come at it from a gentleness 
but with gentleness and with truth. We're not going to focus on this, but I mentioned that come January we're going to end up, we're going to start again with the being lights of the world. But I want to just read this because just imagine if we become these beatitude people more and more, as it grows within us, how we as people will then be able to be these. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world to shine. Just like Jesus came, light dawned on them. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Let our light shine so that we do good works and give glory. This journey we're on, that we're entering into, is going to create people who can be the light to the world, who can be salt, bring out the flavors of the world. I just want to invite us to be able to just ponder what God's been saying to us. The good news of the gospel coming near, the response is repent, change the way you think about life and the world. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's the invitation for us. For I am gentle, I am meek, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And here's the bit that's really helpful for us to remember as we go into this journey, this yoke of learning. He says, for my yoke is easy on you, and my burden is light. Isn't that good? This impossible lifestyle that God blesses is only possible because God's going to transform us from the inside out. Shall we pray? Jesus, we come recognizing that you see the world around us differently. You see the world around us more accurately. And you personify all of these amazing qualities and characteristics and attitudes and behaviors. And we just come to you to say, would you train us in your ways? Would you transform us from the inside out? We say, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.